0: Scripture today starts with Matthew five thirty-eight through 48. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn him the other cheek also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And now Hebrews 10:30. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, and I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people.
1: Good morning again. We are continuing along in our Lenten series on where we continue to need God's grace to work on those sins that are still in our hearts that sometimes go unnoticed. And for me, Jesus' teaching today in the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most difficult in light of The way our society tends to view things, in particular views revenge and vengeance today. A few years ago, I saw something on Facebook that uh, said that one of the most insidious and terrible things that can come from a child's mouth is the three words, that's not fair. And you might think, well, that doesn't seem too bad, but... As we'll see, our view of fair play tends to get skewed by our own brokenness. And it's only when we look at fairness from God's perspective that we can truly, uh, truly approach the problems in our world uh, with a just mindset. As I said on the surface, that might seem a strange thought to say that the words that's not fair, uh, that that would be considered so terrible. But as I thought about it, I had to agree. We have a culture that in many ways seems obsessed over what it deems to be fair. And C.S. Lewis, in his radio talks during the Second World War, which ultimately became uh, his book, Mere Christianity, he actually uses our own borderline obsession with fair play as part of the evidence that God exists, because that means that if we have some some notion in our mind of what's fair and what's not. And we all seem to have a pretty similar point of view on what's fair and what's not that shows that there has to be some kind of lawgiver, essentially, you know, that doesn't just come out of the ether that we think, oh, well, this is fair and this is not. That sense of something being fair or not seems to say that there is something else guiding The universe, other than just mere random chance. The problem comes into play when we tend to be most concerned with fair play when it's someone else who has been unfair to us, but whenever we find a loophole that we can exploit for our own benefit, then we tend to forget our sense of fair play because suddenly it's to our advantage to not play fair, even though deep down we know it's wrong. We see it all the time with famous and powerful people that uh, I, I don't follow football, but just recently I know, I believe the owner of this, the uh, Patriots recently got nailed in some rather sordid business. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to work for cases and the causes of social justice. Social justice is important. And true fairness is important. But as I said, what tends to happen with human beings is we tend to have a lopsided view of fairness whenever it's us on the side that can benefit from breaking or bending the rules. We don't seem to worry quite so much about it. Justice without God-given grace and mercy is quite honestly a form of vengeance, which we hear about in Hebrews. Let's be honest. When we are wronged, we want to get even. That tends to be how the human mind works. When we've been hurt, we want to get even. And there is even a saying for that. Don't get mad, get even. And getting even is the subject matter of so much of our entertainment, and it honestly is poisoning our spirits with a sense of bitterness. (coughs) The command to love our enemies is one that I think we all consider a high-minded ideal. I think all of us agree that it is a good thought. But for most of us, I think we tend to think of it as something beyond human capability. Most of us seem to think, well, that's how it will be in the next life, but it's too hard for the here and now. But when we look at the context of this command in Matthew, when we look at the way Jesus puts it, we will find that it is anything but an unrealistic ideal and is, in fact, a command from Jesus himself. A lot of us today really do not comprehend the earth-shattering um, impact and the consequences of what Jesus is proposing here when he says to love your enemies. You see, the worldview of Jesus' day was a worldview of vengeance. You even have written within the Old Testament statements that say an eye for an eye. But the reason behind those passages weren't so much for vengeance sake, but it was to preserve the communal fabric and the fact that we're all responsible for each other and we're supposed to look after each other. It wasn't so much about vengeance as saying, look, if you cause someone else to lose something, you, you know, you're responsible for that as well. Jesus has taken the worldview of vengeance that was both within his native Judea and in the Roman world in general that said, if someone hurts you, you hurt them back. You take what you can get. And he turns it upside down. He completely flushes it down the toilet, as it were. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your friends and hate your enemies, but I say, Love your enemies. You see, within Jesus' world, and in particular within the um, zealot community of the Jews, there was a culture of revenge, specifically against the Romans and Roman collaborators. I've talked about this a little bit before when I talked about Zacchaeus. Anyone who helped the Romans was considered an enemy of... This idealized Jewish state that the zealots dreamed of. And they would go as far as murder. And they they believed that they were justified in that because they were avenging the nation. They were in essence terrorists. And there were many people, not just the zealots, but others that viewed this move towards vengeance as a normal thing and something that was sanctioned. And it goes beyond just Jesus' world. It, it, it went into the Roman world. It went even beyond that. It's a human problem. Within the human spirit, because of our brokenness, we have this innate desire to when we've been hurt, to hurt back. But even though what Jesus said seemed to be earth shattering, he's actually supported by the law. If you look at The law in the Old Testament, I know some people will nitpick at it and say, well, these are just weird little rules here, or these sound rather mean-spirited. If you look at the law as a whole, the purpose of the Old Testament law was to preserve community, to preserve fair play, to make sure that people don't take advantage of each other, and for people to be loyal to God. That was the whole purpose of the Old Testament law. We can nitpick about little specific laws, but the purpose of the whole thing was to preserve unity, community, and the well-being of everybody. And that's what Jesus is talking about here, that we're supposed to be concerned about the other person, that rather than looking at it as, that's my enemy, so I need to get revenge, He's trying to bring about a new sense of community, meaning we are all in this together. And so rather than being obsessed with revenge, we need to focus more on the bigger picture of how do we all take care of each other? How do we all help each other? Our world is really not that different from the world in Jesus' day. If you look in our entertainment, if you look at the news, if you look at just about everything, there is a spirit of aggression in our society. I hate driving on the interstate anymore. And at first I thought it was just me and my anxiety, but I, I've, been, I've been driving since I was 15, 16 years old. I'm going to be 37 this year. So we're talking about about 21 years of driving. It has gotten worse. And if you look at the way people drive aggressively, the, uh, the mean-spiritedness, the I got flipped off by somebody that thought I was driving too slow in the middle lane on the, the interstate. You know, there, there is a mean-spiritedness in our society today. And it's not, just, it's not just on the roads. It's not just on the roads. If, if you listen to people in conversation, uh, you can hear where people hold grudges against others. Our political environment is rife with this sense of revenge and uh, trying to get even. And it's very mean-spirited. And throughout our world, there is, in essence, really a culture of war and fearing otherness, fearing people who are, who are different. Rather than saying, we're all human beings and we're all trying to get to the same place. And so what we can see is that although, yes, we have this built-in sense of fair play, the way it plays out in our world is anything but fair. Jesus' words are clearly not meant as some unattainable goal to shoot for. They are definitely a command that is meant to be followed. He says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now you might say, how, you know, how can any of us be perfect completely you know, in this life? Well, first of all, we can't control what other people do. That's, that's one thing we have to understand and deal with. We cannot control what other people do. We can't control the person that is tailgating you on the interstate. We can't control the person that said that awful thing to you the other day. But you can choose to let go of your anger. We can let go of the anger. We don't have to feed the bitterness Bitterness is like a cancer. You feed it and it grows and it wants more. And then you feed it and it grows and it wants even more than that. It grows exponentially. And so what do we do to counteract this? What are we called to do rather than seeking revenge, rather than feeding bitterness? What is our other option? What's exactly what Jesus says? He says, be good to those who hurt you. Be kind to them. It is a witness to Christ when we bless those who hurt us, even if they never follow that witness, it will be a credit to you. And you may change someone's life for the better. Maybe it may be the person that hurt you. Maybe it won't be them. Maybe it'll be some other person who's been watching this whole thing take place. Regardless, when you love your enemy... People's lives change. There's a thing that I call the vicious cycle. And the vicious cycle looks like this. You get hurt. And when you get hurt, you are sad and that sadness turns to anger. That anger becomes hate. That hate causes you to desire and seek retribution. That desire for retribution and vengeance causes you to go and hurt ourselves and others. And what tends to happen with that is the cycle begins again. Whoever we have now hurt is now sad and angry, which turns to hate and a desire for retribution, causing others to move towards other acts of anger and violence. If we can be willing to break the vicious cycle that I just described, we can gradually change our culture and gradually change the world. As God says, vengeance, retribution, and justice are actually His to deal with. And we're not supposed to take that as, Oh, they'll get their due one of these days. I'm just going to be nice to them and look forward to that day when God smashes them. That's not what it means. Instead, we are to look at it as an opportunity to witness to that person so that they might change and not experience judgment. That is why vengeance is God's to deal with, because he is just. He's the one that's truly just and truly has a good sense of fair play because he gives all people a chance to change. The danger of unforgiveness is that it makes it impossible for us to experience the grace of forgiveness when we have hurt others. And I don't think that's because God doesn't want to extend grace and mercy to us when we are unforgiving. It's because I don't feel like our hearts are open to receiving grace and mercy when we are feeling unforgiving. Think about it like this. If you are angry at somebody for something, but you've done things wrong too, Are you really that interested in seeking forgiveness? Are you that interested in receiving grace? No. You're interested in getting the retribution that you want. In the face of a culture that is consumed with a self-centered sense of justice, let us as Christians offer an alternative, an alternative of peace and mercy in spite of the hatred that exists in our world. I believe when the church masters the ministry of forgiveness and peace, people will be drawn to the alternative to bitterness and vengeance and an unforgiving spirit that the world offers. Christ stands ready to offer grace and mercy to all, and he calls on us to be the conduit through which he offers it. Are you willing to be a person of peace in a world at war? with itself. Amen.